Hi, I'm Ken. And I'm Dee. And this is Antiques Freaks. The only podcast that's gluten-free. Interesting how we're the only one. We really are. This week, we are once again delving into antiques as represented in fiction. But it is not a book, nor a film, but rather a video game. Antiques of the 21st century. I almost feel bad calling it a video game, but I don't know what else to call it. Technically speaking... (laughs) It's a video game. This is a video game the way your grandma might enjoy a video game. <laughs> wow, very rude to grandma gamers. Well, no, I mean, like, like full respect to grandma gamers, but, like, this is their game. You say that, like, there aren't grandma gamers absolutely destroying Elden Ring right now. That's true, they're Skyrim grandma. Yeah, exactly, thank you. But we are talking about the game Faircroft's Antiques The Forbidden Crypt, which is what they call a hidden object game. Which means it is a point-and-click adventure where all of the gameplay progresses by showing you a static image and you click on certain images within that image to progress. Well, there's other puzzles. (laughs) For example, you might be shown a picture of a curio shop and be told to find all of the pictures of mice inside it to represent ridding the shop of mice. (laughs) Was this my favorite level? Who can say? It was certainly the one that was truest to the antique industry. The game takes place in present-day Porto Nacosti, Italy, and centers around the character of Mia Faircroft, who is an antiques dealer slash restorer slash conservator from America, traveling with her friend Maria, who is German, to meet their old friend, a random hot priest who is Italian. (laughs) It's a very multicultural game. Apparently they meet him in Germany where she meets her best friend, or where her best friend is from. This is one in a series of games. Don't worry, that won't matter. They really super won't. While there, they coincidentally meet her friend Brad, a fellow American who is um, illustrated like a washed up scene kid. <laughs> and... Their dialogue is revealed to be unable to hold down a job until he impulsively moves to small town Italy, at which point he just fits, I guess. I guess small town Italy was really thirsting for washed up scenesters. Don't you just love when you go to a little, like, a little port town nobody's heard of and then everyone you know is there? On the whole, this story seems like it was written by someone who was only experienced Italy either through cruise line wine tasting vacations or the film Under the Tuscan Sun. Why not both? Because (laughs) let me tell you one thing, there wasn't a single food that wasn't pizza or lasagna in this. (laughs) That's not true. They also ate a risotto. Oh, (laughs) it's like they Googled, like, what do Italians eat? And it's like, you know, Italians, especially coastal Italians, known for some of the most, like, varied, beautiful dishes in the world. And you're like, lasagna, I bet. (laughs) (laughs) And pizza. And pizza. So, I am not Italian. And you can tell because I hate food and I don't much care for my family. Well, you are when you get to the Olive Garden, but you haven't gone with me. Like, you won't go, so. That's true. I don't want to become family with you, D. Podcasting's enough. I forgot that it was when you hear your family and not when you hear your Italian. <laughs> I mean, they try. But it has not worked yet. That said, I don't know that this game represents Italy very well. No, because if I went by this, like, it kind of just hits all of the main spots of, like, what are some stereotypes you might know, like, if you know Italian a little bit better than, like, Garfield. Like, what are some of the stereotypes? And it's, like, wine, pizza. Wine, pizza, 
and the one guy who went to America invariably got involved in crime. A real plotline in this actual video game. Yeah, we're pretty offensive, actually. I'm just gonna go ahead and say that. Uh, don't forget, everyone, literally everyone has some sort of Roman artifact. Also that, yes. <laughs> so, ostensibly, the plot of this game is that the hot priest has asked Mia to come help him restore a cathedral in small-town Italy. However, she does significantly less cathedral restoration and significantly more faffing about town. She really gets in everyone's fucking business, and while I don't know Italy, I do know townies, and I would say, if she tried that shit in New Bedford, she'd get knocked in the jaw. <laughs> you might have remember from the title of the game, The Forbidden Crypt, and you might hear that and think, <laughs> is there perhaps a crypt in this game that is forbidden? And yes, in the loosest sense of the phrase. <laughs> And that, the first time they mention the crypt, they say, no one goes there. No one can ever go there. It's full of secrets. And then you, like, I want to say within the first quarter of the game, get into that crypt, and then routinely return to the crypt over and over. It's like the second <laughs> chapter. They're like, oh, no one goes in that crypt. And then you go to meet your hot priest friend, and he's like, hey, could you go in that crypt for me real quick? But what possible secrets could this crypt hold? Well... We've officially reached the spoiler section of this podcast, so if you were on the edge of your seat <laughs> to see what twists and turns Faircroft's Antiques The Forbidden Crypt had for you, go on Steam and buy the collector's yeah. edition. Pause here and finish the game. Play through the eight hours of gameplay and then come back. Is it eight hours? Did you make that up? It was for me, my dude. Oh, oh, well, okay. Well, I mean, I guess that's still eight hours of gameplay, yeah. So, the reason Mia's hot priest friend has asked her to come restore this cathedral is because an influential family in town has been donating many expensive art pieces and historical artifacts to the local cathedral, and also, whatever you do, don't look in that crypt, which happens to belong to this influential family. The crypt contains information that should have been easily available to literally anyone looking through the public church records. <laughs> And it is only through confronting the influential family with this, again, extremely accessible information do they get a big box of letters that reveals this influential family is the illegitimate offspring of a Catholic cardinal some centuries ago. So, like, you, you heard that right. The enormous twist and the dark secret is that sometimes people are adopted. <laughs> I think... The bigger scandal is that, generally speaking, cardinals aren't supposed to have illegitimate children. But then again, I'm a Unitarian Universalist, so this is all rather foreign to me. But, like, the big thing is just, like, our family is this. And it's like, what your family is was adopted by an influential family. Like, that- <laughs> They, they spend way more time going on about how, like, we're not full-blooded, uh, Nicostians. And I was just like, wow, shut up. <laughs> and it doesn't come up- They bring up, like, twice that, like, well, there's also this whole thing with the Cardinal. But it's like, that's not the baby's fault. And, like, the major scandal here seems to be that the baby is not, like, full-blooded family. They didn't get to go to Olive Garden for the baptism. <laughs> So here's the thing. You and I, from our lofty position in New Bedford, are saying, oh no, who cares about this cardinal's illegitimate kid. But this story takes place in an extremely small town where odds are everyone would care a lot because there's nothing else for them to care about because it's an extremely small town. However, the characters within this story also conclude who cares, which makes one wonder why anyone bothered telling this story in the first place. It's a very good question. Well, this is all spurred on by the daughter of the family, the adult daughter, who seems to have not had any questions until she laid eyes on an American. <laughs> uh, more on their somewhat romantic tension relationship later. Sure. 
Did you have something else to bring up now, or did you want to skip to the later? <laughs> oh, I guess I'll just skip to the later, because I don't really have a lot to say other than, like, it was kind of gay, right? I wasn't getting that vibe. I was mostly getting the vibe that she wanted to get with her hot priest friend. Oh, I didn't get that vibe at all. It was just like, your title character, Mia Faircrop, goes to a lot of trouble. And I mean, I do mean, like, quite a bit of trouble. Like, specifically for the daughter of this influential family to, like, unlock the mysteries. You say quite a bit of trouble. What she does is go to the crypt that she is given access to, find unrelated objects for roughly four hours, and then have someone else give her the answer anyway. Well, yeah, but, like, for her, that's, like, a full day. (laughs) Here's the thing, it's not a lot, but I wouldn't have put up with it. Wow. You wouldn't go through even that much with someone you weren't trying to date? No, because, like, because like every fucking turn, like, everyone just keeps saying, like, your dad's a millionaire, don't cross him. And then, and then like, what, I'm gonna cross him? No. <laughs> Where's your sense of adventure? In the Forbidden Crypt, away from that guy. <laughs> but he's also there. Get him out. Handing you the key to it at the same time telling you to never go in it because there's nothing to see there. I think I got that impression just from the um the extremely fast way these characters make connections with each other. Well in that case Mia's trying to date the entire town because she also makes an extremely fast and pointless connection with the owner of the local wine yard. Well you don't then I guess you don't want my answer on whether or not I thought that was vaguely like homoromantic because yes. She also makes a rapid connection with the local luthier and the Syrian refugee and the fisherman and also reconnects with brad her washed up scene kid friend so like so i guess while we're talking about it now brad was definitely trying to date the luthier like a hundred percent okay like the dad yeah like the dad like (laughs) okay every time you talk to them like they're at dinner together and he's like buying him wine and like gifts and like doing fucking free genealogy research for him like that man wanted that dad Okay, he does give him, like, a lot of flowers and chocolates for a man he's not trying to date. Okay, let's back up. They're always at dinner together. (laughs) The plot line with the Luthiers is that Brad thinks he recognizes the dad from a photo in an American newspaper, but that's impossible because the dad has never been to America. But wait, he has some family who emigrated to America, and Brad does some, again, extremely free and easy research with Google from the convenience of his smartphone while he's just standing in the middle of the street because he's got fuck all better to do. And he's like, okay, good news. Yes, your family in America. Bad news, criminals. (laughs) Because, okay, I guess... Sure, we're going to do that. Okay, great. We're doing that plot line. Fantastic. So naturally, the local Luthier dad is upset to hear that, you know, his only extant family in America is criminals. And then Brad's like, wait, wait, wait. Only one of those guys did crime. The other ones opened a sick-ass guitar shop in New York City. And again, all of this is dragged out over several hours of information dropping by tidbits. And each point on this revelatory journey, they're acting like they are full Da Vinci Code uncovering the secrets of the Vatican. And every time Brad shows up like, okay, I've got like 18 more pounds of chocolate and flowers to try to make this go down easier for this poor old handsome man. Yeah, and then like at some point he's like, I've got to tell him what I found out over dinner alone, just the two of us. Like he is <laughs> thirsty for that luthier okay you know what you've convinced me yeah i'm shocked i didn't see it at the time i am too i really thought you were gonna come out the gate swinging me like he tried to fuck that old man (laughs) 
I think I just got distracted with the horror at Mia's conservator techniques. Um, yeah. So yeah, on to uh, the representation of antiques in this game that has the word antiques in it. On to the gameplay. How How is antiques integrated into the gameplay? Which is <laughs> the restoration gameplay mechanics include reassembling smash statuary like a big jigsaw puzzle, <laughs> removing objects that don't belong in historical paintings such as skateboards, How all these skateboards got into the 18th century painting, no one explains. Swapping tiles between historical paintings which have been cut into tiles and then mixed up. They're 100% fine after you smash them back together. <laughs> Which you, you see, all, so often in the art world, someone says, I've got a beautiful painting, but someone cut it into interchangeable tiles. <laughs> but luckily, just arranging the titles back into sequence instantly repairs the canvas, and you can never tell that it was tiled in the first place. Which, by the way, I also just love the idea that, like, an adult person who collects antiques and art would look at a bunch of scrambled tile and be like, I don't know what to do with this. I gotta get the experts in here. (laughs) But sometimes, sometimes the paintings that are cut into tiles aren't mixed up. Sometimes all the pieces are in the right place. They've just been rotated 90 to 270 degrees. Yeah. Yeah. From their original orientation. Yeah, such a common problem. And everyone in the small Italian town is like, we don't know what to do. How can we possibly fix this? And Mia's like, thank God you called an American conservator. I'll handle this. And she just like rotates. the world class antiques restorationist to rotate my painting. (laughs) And she just rotates each individual tile slightly to the left. And instantly the painting is healed. It's a fucking miracle. Call the Vatican. She deserves sainthood. I am most fascinated by the, like, find the things that don't belong. Because, like, the implication quite literally being that someone got a hold of this and painted in a bunch of fucking skeletons and skateboards and blenders for reasons unknown. And then at some point either, like, misappropriated or returned the painting so sullied. You thought Eke Homo was a bad restorative drop. It's beautiful, by the way. Don't even come for Eche Homo. Just be glad she didn't paint Jesus on a skateboard. <laughs> because apparently that happens a lot in small town Italy. She painted in 12, 12 royalty-free PNGs of pizza. <laughs> there is a point where you go into a gallery in the small town and the gallery owner's like, Hi, can you help me clean up all of this pizza? <laughs> pizza all up in my antiquities. And there's like pizza all over the scene for you to click on, but also little animations of flies around the lamp. And I was like, oh, okay. So the pizza made flies happen because there's, you know, just pizza lying around. That makes sense. So you clean up all the pizza. Then you go back to that location later to find something unrelated hidden in the picture. The flies are still there. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, a, it's I think you can assume it's a stanky, stanky gallery. Is the implication that the pizza permanently fucked it? Yeah, it's just ruined now. Because <laughs> uh, it's like, you know how, like, if you don't have, like, some stainless steel, the, your hands smell like garlic forever? That's never been a problem for me, but sure. Well, how often are you chopping garlic? Fucking no garlic chopper over here. Wow. Rude. <laughs> The pizza stink just gets in. There's a couple of really unique moments where you of restoration where you have to restore like a suit of armor. That was maybe my favorite. I think this game gives people the unrealistic expectation that when you repair antiques, you just do it with like glue. Like all it's always glue. <laughs> Yes, because the final game mechanic is where you are given a broken antique and a series of tools, and then you get to just randomly guess what each tool is and how it will undo which
rich, imperceivable imperfection in the crisp JPEG they have set before you. Which made this my least favorite puzzle because it made no goddamn sense. Yeah, I mean, it just turns into a click fest. And as you said, one of these is a woman coming to you saying, Oh no, I dropped my family's ancestral suit of medieval armor down the stairs and now it's all dented and fucked up. And then Mia's like, don't worry, I got this. And just whips out a hammer, just wangs away at all the dents, and then just steel wools the rest of it. And it's fine. Yeah, I'm, I'm worried that people are going to go through this and be like, so to be a world-class, like, re- restorationist, I need to scrub the fuck out of it. And, like, this is regardless of what kind of thing it is. I need to scrub the fuck out of it, and then I need to get really fucking handsy with the glue. I'm just imagining, like, this on the Baumgartner Fine Arts Restoration channel. Well, I would give anything to have them do, like, a, a playthrough. Or just hand him a busted suit of armor, a hammer, and a pad of steel wool and say, go nuts, my dude. Go fucking crazy. I also like the implication that Mia Faircroft is also like a world-class artist because sometimes one of the tools is a brush and you are just expected to paint back in like areas where paint has been gone, which, you know, is a skill that takes years to master. Maybe she has. Maybe she has taken those years to master. We don't know. I've only played this game. Well, I mean, like everyone keeps saying that she's like the only one they could think of, which means they either have like a really small phone book or that she's really the best. Also, like, none of them were- there wasn't, like, a single antique- like, everything was, like, an antiquity from ancient Rome. There were some 18th century objects. There was some furniture and some paintings. I do not remember the furniture, oh my god. Oh, the furniture restoration? Yeah, you glued it. Where you just kind of stab at the plush bits with a needle to fix all the tears. Yeah. And then you, like, just smear wood glue on the chipped bits and broken bits to make, you know, the legs and the fittings magically repair. Yeah, which, that's not how you fix your furniture? No, it's not. Usually I fix my furniture by handing it to my roommate and being like, please. (laughs) Yeah, I usually just hit it with a hammer and then I kind of wood glue just like a ton of like wood chips until it kind of is- You just wood glue the splinters back together? Yeah, like I get like a ton of sawdust and I sort of pack it in and I'm like, just like Ikea. (laughs) (laughs) So none of the art in this is correctly identified. It is all public domain and or clip art that all relates directly to this influential family's tragic, unforgivable past. To the point where a painting from the 18th century and a medieval painting are put up side by side, purported to be of the same man, and both considered accurate likenesses despite being very obviously completely different random dudes (laughs) painted centuries apart. Yeah, yeah, I like that. Everyone's like, this is the cardinal. This proves our family is illegitimate. And I'm like, does it though? He definitely dicked down. I think what this proves is that you were, your family is severely lacking in arts education, is what it proves. Because you've also looked at Mia, who just showed up in town and said, yeah, I'm friends with the hot priest. And you were all like, I trust you implicitly. I, yeah, Here's all of our artifacts. You're perfect. Well, like, all it proves is that you have two paintings. Like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, empirically, that is what you do have. And they are different men painted, and I cannot stress this enough, at least 500 years apart. Yeah, uh, I mean, it's just such a good uh, antiques person that she just, she looks at those and she knows that's the same guy. He's immortal. <laughs> so the game plot and the gameplay are completely divorced from each other, to the point where you have the option when you open the game to play without the story at all. <laughs> There's an option The game says to you, hey, are you just here for the puzzles? Because we can give you just the puzzles. And like a fool, I said, no, I'm here for the story. I'm here for this international antiques dealer story. Please give me all of the dialogue. Oh God, what have I done? It's also like, it says, it's called Faircroft's Antiques. She doesn't do antiques. 
It's Faircroft's restora- like traveling restorationist. <laughs> she doesn't even seem particularly interested in them, to be completely honest with you. Well, once she's glued them back together. <laughs> Her friend Maria seems to actually to be more invested. She did appraise that one pocket watch that was so outrageously valuable that if only the man who emigrated to America had taken it with him, he wouldn't have had to turn to a life of crime. Which is extremely funny because the thing, <laughs> the thing about antiques is that they accrue value with age and that I imagine if he'd had that pocket watch at the time, it would have been worth about the price of one pocket watch. <laughs> Not have been the salvation of the family as we know it. Yeah. Speaking of plot lines that go fucking nowhere and matter to nothing, the local vineyard owner is insecure about following in her grandfather's footsteps. For, again, no reason. She's been raised in this business, she's intimately familiar with it, she knows exactly how it's done, she already has a built-in customer base and plans to expand. Everything's working great. At no time is there a crisis for this vineyard. Like, not even a frost destroying the grapes or nothing. Everything's going as smoothly as could possibly be imagined, and every step of the way she's like, but what if it not? And then Mia shows up and goes, I'm an American, you're gonna be fine! And then she's like, oh, thank god you're here! No, but like, she knocked over what every Italian has in their home, the family's ancestral armor <laughs> yeah but then Mia hammered it back into shape so it's fine now her vineyard is saved yeah but that's how you know that's how you know she's a bumbling failure this plotline is resolved when apropos of nothing she just decides she's over it and is fine well like when you hammer the armor back intact and you're like what if your grandpa is not dead but instead is dead forever <laughs> And she's like, wow, I guess death really is a permanent state of being. And then her friends are like, yeah, sure is. And then she's just like, good now. Well, no, there are several more chapters of her being like, but what if the vineyard fails spontaneously for no reason? For absolutely no reason. After, after the armor is repaired. <laughs> and then like, as the game itself is wrapping up, she, I guess, can perceive this from within the game itself, and it's like, actually, I'm fine now, because we're almost out of story. Yeah, it's res- everything's resolving, and this is giving me great confidence. Everything resolves with a very midsummer like, dinner party where the entire town tries to convince Mia to move there and live there forever. So I'm glad you picked up on that, too, because I kept waiting for, like, the shift. Because a lot of these hidden object games can get, like, surprisingly dark. There's, like, a ton of horror-themed ones, even. And I was like, oh, fuck, they're gonna try to kill her. And it's gonna, like, oh, the whole conflict about whether or not she moves to Porto Nicosti's moot. Because they're gonna, this is like a whole, this town is a cult. And that's why this whole thing about the birthright was such a big deal. And I kept waiting for that because it felt like it was building to that. Because everyone is behaving very fucking weird. Yeah, the, the title Forbidden Crypt contains certain expectations, you know? I kind of figured it would be light, but I didn't know it was gonna be this light. Yeah, so they have the dinner where they're like, you should live here forever. And she's like, well, both my washed up scene core friend and also my German antiques friend are moving here spontaneously, I guess because the people who are making this series of games ran out of ideas for ways I could drag my friends globetrotting with me. And then at the end of the dinner party, the priest is like, you know how you love helping people? You've already helped everyone in this town. You have to leave. And she's like, you know what? You're right, hot priest. Yeah, he's like, get out of fucking Italy. And then she goes... <laughs> Off into the sunset. Get out of Italy and like, so, like I think someone offers her a job at like this beautiful like Roman sculpture garden, and she's like, no. What I really love is hammering and steel wooling <laughs> treasures back together. <laughs> And, like, find me one antiques person who, when offered sight unseen a job at, like, a prestigious gallery, wouldn't immediately park their ass there forever. Oh, 
right now, if someone offered me a minimum wage job minding the counter at an antique store, I would take it. Like, you have got to be fucking- She was like, no, I want to be way more insecure in my career. So, D, how do you feel this game represents the antiques industry? <laughs> it's that thing. It's that thing where, like, people think of antiques dealers as, like, celebrities. They think that, like, the second you're good at it, you're, like, you're, you're, you're fucking flying to Italy and you're romancing young heiresses. And, like, it's just, it's that, right? Is this because they only see antiques dealers on Antiques Roadshow and assume that all good antiques dealers are also celebrities on Antiques Roadshow? I think so. I think that's, that's especially shown in the fact that there isn't a single antique in the game that's mundane. It's all, like, deeply historical, deeply personal, and extremely valuable. Like, yeah, I think it's 100% it's uh, Antiques Roadshow syndrome. I think it's that, and also the skewed view of antiques might be coming from the same place as the skewed view of small town Italy, and that the people who wrote this game only go to these places on cruise ships. Yeah. Because, well, do I remember when the cruise ship would have a problem and not want to tell the passengers, so they would just stop off in New Bedford and dump the passengers on the local antique shops. It was always so funny. And you wouldn't find <laughs> out until until someone was interested in something large, and they'd be like, well, I can't take that on the boat. And then you'd be like, the boat. <laughs> and she'd be like, yeah, we're all from the cruise ship. And then you're like, oh god, that's why my day's been so fucking miserable. And then you would realize that the cruise ship had broken down somehow and we have a working port. So... <laughs> so yeah, I think what happened is... Whoever wrote this game went on one of those wine tasting tours of Italy and then also maybe got dumped at an antique shop by the cruise line when they needed repairs. I don't like to use the term because in terms of, in like hobbyist spaces, it's become very, very maligned. But, you know, the term tourist actually seems pretty, like these are antiques tourists. Like these people don't know what actually goes into it. This makes me miss the cozy mysteries where every antique store owner is struggling and depressed. Because that, now that is accurate. But the real question is, D, will we be playing the other games in this series? Oh, I mean, absolutely. So they're like always on sale on Steam. So <laughs> the gameplay is satisfying, even if the story is bonkers and about as dense as any given visual novel. Yeah, absolutely. The plot is definitely shorter in spurts than a visual novel. It's pretty well broken up by me finding all of the royalty-free like PNGs of pizza. And also hammering this suit of medieval armor back into shape. I think my favorite thing was when they decided that there was a colony of parrots in the seaside town because I assume that the one bird they could find the most royalty-free PNGs of was a bunch of parrots. They were like, yeah. Final thoughts? If you like those games your mom plays, you should definitely check it out and uh, don't base your career as an antiques dealer off of it. Again, I know a lot of moms playing Elden Ring right now, so like, I don't know that there is a mom genre of game that you can apply to all moms. Okay, okay, full disclosure. I say that because this is the kind of game my mom was obsessed with. Okay. Right. My mom loves every stripe of puzzle <laughs> game, except for, like, Myst, and quite frankly, no one likes that, so. Wow. And, like, I started, I got, I, I found out about this because I was, like, a kind of jealous that I was struggling through Elden Ring and my mom was just, like, you know, growing turnips in a match three game. Uh, <laughs> that's how I stumbled into this. If you would like to suggest an episode topic or just say hello, you can email us directly at antiquesfreakspodcast at gmail.com. You can post on our Facebook group, Antiques Freaks Friends. You can tag us on Tumblr, antiquesfreaks.tumblr.com, or you can check out our Instagram at instagram.com slash antiquesfreaks. If you'd like to tell me about another video game with antiques in it, you can scroll on down to wherever you're listening to this podcast and leave us a five-star review, maybe? Just kidding. You can make any number of stars that makes your heart do the smiley emote, but every review makes us more and more powerful. And if you would like some vintage 
ancient antique goods that are slightly more legit than dented suits of armor, repaired hastily with hammers by a total stranger who just showed up in town one day. No glue guaranteed. You can check out our Etsy shop at etsy.com slash shop slash antiques freaks. I'm gonna say that there's a 100% no glue guarantee, or I'll send you a low-res JPEG of pizza. And if you need more Antiques Freaks in your week, you can check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash antiquesfreaks, where every week we read and review a chapter of the Victorian Penny Dreadful Varney the Vampire, the Feast of Blood. Special shout out to our patrons for paying our hosting fees and filling our hearts with love. So much love. And thank you in particular for listening. That's right, you. Au revoir. Goodbye.